One of the very basic issues that we deal with as from Jews is what is the balance a person has to strike between hishtadlus and bitachon, meaning how much effort should I put in, how much should I trust in Hashem, <clears throat> what is considered the right balance, and <clears throat> what is considered the proper hishtadlus, what is considered the right amount of effort, what's too much effort, what is that actual balance. And I believe that this is one of the greatest challenges of a human being, even when you fully understand exactly what the Torah system is, it's a great challenge. The problem is, typically, we don't really have a clue. And typically, when you talk to people about Amuna and Bitochan and Shtadlis, what does it mean? I don't know, you trust Hashem, my part, Hashem's part, what does it mean? I don't know, something. So, I'd like to deal with those issues today. I'd like to take those two things apart. What is Bitochan? What is Shtadlis? And let's try to find the balance there. And to do this, I'd like to begin with a overt and obvious contradiction. Two Gemaras, and they seem to be absolutely contradictory. One Gemara is very well known, The exact dollar amount a person is to earn each year is set on Rosh Hashanah, that's the amount you learn. Meaning to say, this year I'll earn $50,000, $500,000, $5 million, the exact dollar amount is set on Rosh Hashanah, Chutz, with the exception of Hotzal's expenses for Shabbos, Yom Tov, and Hotzal's Banavot Talmud Torah. Three areas are an exception. And monies that you spend on Shabbos, on Yom Tov, and your children's Torah education, those don't go into that Cheshman. There's a flex account. And monies that you spend on Shabbos, money that you spend on Yom Tov, money that you spend on your Torah education for your children, there's a flex account. The more you spend, the more you get. Unless you spend, the less you're given. But other than that area... The exact dollar amount you are to make this year is set exactly to the penny. Okay, let's call that Exhibit A. That's one statement in Gemara, in Be'a, Daftar Zayin, Amenalf. But there's a very, very real problem with that, and that is that there's almost a complete overt contradiction from another Gemara. Gemara says, Arba Dvarim Srichim Chizik. There are four areas in life that a person has to give himself chizik. Constantly give yourself motivation, constantly give yourself be psyched up about, constantly focus on. And what are those four areas? Torah, Ma'asim Tovim, Tefillah, and Derech Eretz. Torah means studying Torah. Ma'asim Tovim means good acts, it means chesed, giving stucca, helping people out. Tefillah is simply dominating. And Derech Eretz, Rashi explains what that means. Derech Eretz is earning a living, going about this world in the ways of the world. Now I'd like to ask the following question. I understand three out of the four. I understand why Torah needs chizik. It's difficult to see the true value of learning Torah. Oftentimes it's difficult to concentrate. And maybe your background isn't strong enough so you don't really appreciate it. But it's certainly something that requires chizik, that requires getting psyched, motivating yourself, because Torah requires an awful lot of toil, and it's not so simple. I get that. Masim tovim, good acts. I also understand why it needs chizik. Why? Because listen... At the end of the day, there's a full half of me that doesn't care about anyone else other than me. full half of me that can't care about anyone else. And for me to learn to be other-centered, for me to train myself to look at others' needs, requires a tremendous amount of fortification, a tremendous amount of psyching yourself up, a tremendous amount of chizik. I get that one. Number three, tefillah, dominating. I also understand why that requires chizik. Because for me to recognize that I'm speaking to my Creator right here, not 13 billion light years up in the sky, Hashem, can you hear me? But that I'm speaking to Hashem, conversing with the Creator of the heavens and earth, 
That's something that all of my physical senses deny. My entire frame of reference denies it, and therefore I certainly understand why it takes chizik. So Torah, Masim Tovim, and Tila, I understand. But the fourth area is earning a living. And the Gemara is telling us you have to constantly get up early in the morning and give yourself a pep talk. And with vim and vigor, go out there and earn your living. Now, I don't understand it. If we just said the dollar amount I am to earn this year is set on Rosh Hashanah, so okay, I have to earn a living. So I'll work two hours a day, four hours a day. I don't have to get up there early in the morning, look at the opportunities, seize the moment. Take it slow, take it easy. What do you need this chizik for? What do you need this constant <coughs> working hard for? If Hashem has determined exactly how much money I am to earn, that money is set, let me just take it easy, take it slow. Why do I have to give myself chizik? These two Gemaras seem to be in contradiction. And to understand the answer to these two Gemaras and how they don't contradict, what I'd like to do is tease apart two very distinct elements here. And that is Hashem's role and my role. And what is Hashem's role in running the world and running my life? And what is my role in that very same? And to tease these two apart, let's begin with Hashem's role. What's Hashem's role in running the world, running my life? So let's begin with one of the statements that's said in the name of the Rambam. Animamim b'munashalema. I accept with the total clarity of understanding. Shabori yisbarach shemo. That Hashem, who bore umanhig, He's the one who created and runs l'cholamasim, every activity under the sun. V'hu levado, and He alone, asa ose v'yase l'cholamasim. And he alone orchestrates every activity that will be done. Meaning to say in plain, simple language, no happenstance, no random occurrences, no luck of the draw. Hashem is intimately, actively involved in the running of my life day in and day out. But that's one of the very basic premises of our religion. I understand. I understand with a total clarity of thought that is Hashem's involvement. But I'd like to explain to you what that really means. And to do that, let me give you a certain, certain observation. There is a mitzvah in the Torah, Losikam, don't take revenge. And the Sefer HaChinuch explains why it is that you shouldn't take revenge. He says, don't take revenge, but don't make a mistake why the Torah warns you. The Torah is not telling you don't take revenge because it's going to ruin your midos. The Torah is not telling you don't take revenge because it's going to cause ill feeling and it's going to cause a lot of strife between people. Those are all true. But that's not the reason why the Torah tells you not to take revenge. The Torah tells us not to take revenge because by doing so, you're imputing powers to man that he doesn't have. By taking revenge, what I'm implying is that you changed my destiny. You harmed me. You did me a disservice. You caused me pain, you caused me a loss, and because of that I'm going to take revenge. It explains the Sefer Chinuch that is a lack of understanding. I have to recognize that Hashem runs the world. I have to recognize that you cannot harm me, you cannot touch me. If I take revenge, I'm imputing powers to you that you don't have. I'm implying that you can control my destiny. And the basic bedrock understanding of our religion is that you cannot harm me, you cannot help me. And explains the Sefer Chinuch, that is the reason for Losikam, and the reason why I can't take revenge. And this premise, and this understanding, that no human being can harm me. Bad things don't occur by accident. Hashem is there day in and day out. 
stormy seas aren't going to drown me, hurricanes can't flood my home, wildfires can't burn me, drunk drivers aren't going to kill me. Hashem is there 24-7. And if you'd like a muscle to what actively that's supposed to feel like, imagine I'm walking down the street and I'm surrounded by a lucite bubble. Strong, strong lucite. You can throw rocks. You can try to shoot. And that lucite is going to protect me. There's no lucite bubble, but as I walk down the street, I know and recognize that Hashem is present. Hashem is here. You can scheme, you can dream, but if I'm not supposed to be harmed, there's nothing that you can do to change that. My destiny, my existence, and my harm, my betterment is in Hashem's hands, Hashem alone. And this understanding that you cannot harm me is side one. The corollary part is you also can't help me. You could be the richest fellow in North America. If I'm not supposed to earn that living, you'll give me that large contribution. It'll go in one pocket, go out the other. And my uncle could be the head of Sloan Kettering. If my time is up, there is nothing that he or anyone else is going to do. As no human being can harm me, and no human being can help me, explains the Chovas of others, those are the basic bedrock understandings of Emunah. And knowing that Hashem is intimately involved in the world, and running the world, running my life, no human being can harm me, no human being can help me. And if you'd like to see how far this goes, I'll give you a mushal. I remember when I was in about third or fourth grade, I had a teacher who taught us how to take a compliment. A nice life lesson, how to take a compliment. She said, if someone compliments you, don't look away, don't squirm, <clears throat> look them in the eye and you say thank you. Now that's an important life lesson, how to take a compliment. But I never had a teacher who taught us how to take an insult. The Chovos of Olves explains to us, he says, I'll teach you how to take an insult. And when someone cuts into the essence of you, when someone rips into you, you're supposed to turn your eyes heavenward and say the words, thank you Hashem for revealing a few of my many flaws. Because he explains I'm supposed to recognize that this human being cannot cause me harm. He cannot embarrass me. He cannot cause me aggravation unless that's coming from another source. And that source is my Creator. I didn't ask you to be the nundik to bring the message, but I have to recognize that those words were being sent to me by my Creator. And if you'd like a muscle to frame this, I'll give you a simple muscle. Imagine I'm speaking in public. Imagine I have a microphone, and I'm holding a microphone, and I'm speaking, and suddenly I look at you, and I start screaming, you're a murderer, and I start calling every name in a book. And you turn red, you turn white, you stand up, and you walk right over to the speaker, and you boom, punch it right into the subwoofer. Now, if you were to walk over to me and punch me in the joy, we could debate whether that's clever or not. But if you stand up and punch the loudspeaker, that's not very intelligent. Because the loudspeaker is just transmitting the message. There's someone speaking into the microphone, and if you have a beef, talk to the one who's saying the words to you. <clears throat> Explains the Chovos of Chovos, that's my understanding. I'm supposed to understand that when you rank me out, when you insult me, you cannot harm me. If I was not supposed to suffer that embarrassment, there is nothing that you could have done to bring that to me. And the opposite, had you decided not to embarrass me and I was supposed to suffer that, I would have dropped a plate of hot soup, I would have tripped. That pain was slated to come to me. I'm supposed to recognize that you cannot harm me. I didn't ask you to be the nunnik to deliver the message, but at the end of the day, you are but a puppet. And as the Sefer Chinuch explains, not to take revenge, because I'm implying that you can harm me, 
explains the Chobos of Olvis, if you insult me, I'm supposed to recognize that those words were sent to me from Hashem, and I turn my eyes heavenward and say the words, Hashem, thank you for revealing a few of my many flaws. And if you'd like to understand Hashem's involvement in the picture, Hashem's involvement in the world, in my life, it's total, complete, and absolute. 24-7, 365, all day, every day, as I get up in the morning, as I go to sleep at night, and I get behind the wheel of my car, when I'm walking down the street, all the time, with me, 24-7, 365. But not just there, guiding, directing, orchestrating everything in my life exactly as it's supposed to come. And that's Hashem's role. Now the question is, okay, so what's my part? I get it. Hashem runs the world. Hashem determines every outcome. Hashem's in charge. So what's my part in the equation? What am I supposed to do? What's my hishtadlis? And to do that, and to explain that part, let's turn to a different part of the Torah. Every word in the Torah is weighed, measured, and calculated because all of the secrets in creation are contained within that small Torah scroll. And every word has a very clear message. Rabbeinu Machai, one of the Rishonim, <coughs> asks a very pointed question. He says, if you read the Psukim in Parshas Noah, you'll see something very strange. The Torah gives us a detailed account of the ark that Noah built. 300 amas wide, long, 50 amas wide, 30 amas tall. It tells us exactly how many rooms. It tells us exactly the dimensions of the Teva. Asked Rabbi Machai, I don't understand. Why do we, 3,000 odd years later, need to know the size of the Teva? What relevance does it have to us? Why is the Torah writing that? What do we need to know that for? And explains Rabbi Machai, if you do the math, you'll find something very, very eye-opening. Let's assume an Amma, we'll call it two feet. Okay, an Amma is two feet. The Teva was 300 Ammas long, that's about 600 feet long. 50 amas wide, we'll give that 100 feet. 30 amas tall, 60 feet tall. If you think about it, explains Rabbeinu Machai, there is no way that all of the animals in creation could possibly fit into such a small boat. Imagine you take the zebras, the giraffes, the hippos, the rhinos, and you take the elephants, you take all of them by twos and by sevens, and you'll quickly see that 50 such tevas could not possibly house all of the animals in creation. The Bronx Zoo is on 265 acres, and it doesn't contain anywhere near a fraction of all the world's animals, not to mention the birds and the insects and etc. Explains Rabbeinu Bachai, the reason why the Torah is telling us is to explain to us that it's physically impossible that such a small boat could have housed all of the animals in creation. And why is the Torah telling us? Because the Torah is telling us to that point to let us know an operating principle in the Torah. And that is that Hashem said to Noah, build a teva. You cannot possibly build an ark large enough to contain all the animals in creation. It's physically beyond your capacity. And therefore I'm not going to command you to do it. But you also can't do nothing. You have to do something. You do whatever you can within the derech teva, within the ways of nature, do as much as you can, and the rest, Hashem says, I will take over. Explains Rabbeinu Chai, the Torah is teaching us this operating principle, because it's a principle that operates throughout Tanakh, throughout the Torah. You have to do whatever you can in the ways of the world. Hashem said to Noah, you have to build 300 amas, that you could do, 50 amas, that you could do. 
more than we can expect of you. You do whatever you can in the ways of the world, and then you rely on the nace, then Hashem takes over. And explains to Rabbi Machai that this is a principle that you'll see over and over and over in Tanakh. We're obligated to go in the ways of, the, of nature, and only then do we rely on Hashem. He says, for instance, let's look at Yeshua. Yeshua brings the Jewish nation into Eretz Yisrael. Now, the land of Israel at the time was occupied by giants living in fortified cities. Every single battle was won miraculously. Not a single Jewish soldier died. In one battle, one Jewish soldier died. <clears throat> who sinned? Achan, who sinned? Where, where's the sinner? So says Rabbi Nochai, I don't understand. You're going in to fight giants and fortified cities, and you know it's going to be a miracle anyway. Why then did Yeshua tell the people, put on your armor, sharpen your sword, get ready for battle? It's going to be a nace anyway. It's going to be a miracle. <clears throat> Explains Rabbi Nochai, that's exactly the point. You have to do whatever you can in the ways of nature, and then you have to know that Hashem determines the outcome. And he explains that this is something you'll find over and over again. You have to go in the ways of the world, you have to go in the ways of nature, and then you know that Hashem determines the outcome. And if you'd like to see a classic example of this, Chovaz Avavaz brings one that's absolutely eye-opening. He says, Hashem turns to Shmuel Hanavi and says, Ma'asti Bishol, I've become disgusted with Shaul, I no longer want Shaul to be the king of Eretz Shaul, I want you to go to Yishai. One of his sons is to be the future king. Says Shmuel to Hashem, Eich Eilech, how could I go? If Shaul the king hears that I'm going to appoint someone in his stead, he'll kill me. Shem says, Take a little egla, take a little calf. You'll tell Shaul that you're going to bring this calf as a carbon. He'll fall for the ruse, and then you go to one of Yishai's sons, and you'll anoint him as king. Says the Chobos one second. This is a Shem, God, speaking to a prophet, speaking to a Novi. And Hashem says, go anoint one of Yishai's sons. And Shmuel says, how can I go? The big, powerful King Shaul will kill me. Hashem should have blasted him. Hashem should have said, who gives life? Who gives death? Who runs the world? You're afraid of a human being when I, God, told you what to do? But not only doesn't Hashem blast him, Hashem says, okay, here's the plan. Take this little, uh, take this little uh, cow, and you'll bring it as a carbon, and Shaul will fall for the for the ruse. Explains the Chavos of Ovis. Do you know why? Because even when Hashem is speaking to a Novi, to a prophet, the Novi is obligated to go in the ways of the world. It was a Makam Sakana, it was a dangerous situation. You're not allowed to put yourself into danger. Even a Novi Hashem has to go in the Derech Teva, in the ways of nature, and explains, this is the operating principle in the Torah. And if you'd like to understand the contradiction between the two Gemaras, there's no contradiction whatsoever. I'm obligated to use this world in the ways of the world, and I'm obligated to recognize that my hishtadlis, my actions, have no impact on the outcome. I have to use the world in the ways of the world, and I have to know that Hashem is the one who runs the world. I have to do my part, and I have to recognize that my part doesn't determine the outcome. That part is determined by Hashem. If you'd like a mushal sort of to make this a little bit more palpable, imagine the following. Imagine you, you're at a theater, and the final act, the two main heroes get into a fist fight. They punch, they kick, they grab each other, and they're fighting, rolling on the floor. The curtain comes down, play is over. Okay. Ten minutes later, you go backstage, and you see these two actors. One slaps the other one back. Oh, wow, your punch tonight was so good. Oh, your kick. I'm gonna, <laughs> and it's left. You look at them and say, guys, what are you doing? 
Ten minutes ago, you're on stage punching, kicking. What, what are you doing? They look and say, punching, kicking. What are you, that was a choreograph, choreographed fight scene. We we're just going through the motions. I was supposed to swing wide. He was supposed to duck. When I go out there into the workplace, anyone looking at me should see a man driven, a man focused with goals and ambition. And all the while, I have to know that I'm going through but a choreographed fight scene. I don't determine the outcome. I have to go through the motions and I have to recognize that Hashem is the one who determines whether I'll find success or not, to what level I'll find success, and exactly in what way. And this concept is the basic of using the world in the ways of the world. And it applies to every area of our life. It applies to earning a living. And it applies to how you bring up your children. It applies to where you live, how you live. Every decision in your life is bracketed by this understanding. I'm obligated to go in the ways of the world. I'm obligated to go in the ways of nature. And I have to recognize that my actions make no difference whatsoever. And because it is a very difficult concept to really get clearly, I want to give you one more muscle. One more parable, because I think it'll hopefully bring everything together. Together. When Barnum and Bailey was in business for the hundred years or so it was, till it recently was become no longer the circus, one of the main events was the High Wire Act. High Wire Act was a wire about 150 feet above the circus floor, and an acrobat would go on the high wire holding that pole, and he'd do various things. He would walk, he would twirl, he would do cartwheels, various different things. That was the act. I think it was in the 1920s when the act, the acrobat who was going on the act decided he wants to add some pizzazz, he wants to add some energy to the show. You see, when the actor goes up there, when the acrobat gets on the high wire, he knows, and everyone else in the audience below as well knows, that if he misses, he's going to fall, but there's a safety net that catches him. It was the 1920s, and the acrobat said, I want to perform the act without the safety net. Now you have to understand, he'd been up there thousands of times before. The audience was gathered, he gets up there, and now every step was very, very different. Because while he may have done that thousands of times before, this time he understood and recognized that one slip, and he falls to his death to the concrete below. That's a parable. When I go out there in the marketplace... I have to pretend as if there's no safety net. My actions will determine my success. That's how I have to determine what the right actions are, and that's how I have to determine what I should do. And all the while, I have to know fully well that there's a safety net. My actions don't determine the outcome. I'm going through that choreographed fight scene. I'm going through the motions, and Hashem determines exactly what's supposed to be. And what that means in plain, simple language is when it comes to earning a living... I have to go out there into the marketplace. I have to ask myself, what are my talents? What are my skills? What are the opportunities in the marketplace? And I have to seize the moment. I have to go out there with energy, with vim, with vigor, with real drive, and I have to recognize that I'm going through the motions. Exactly the amount of money I am to make has been determined by Hashem, and Hashem will determine whether that client will buy, whether the client will walk, whether that deal will go well, whether it won't. I have to put in my effort and I have to know that everything that I do does not determine the outcome. That's my role. But again, Hashem is the one who runs the world. And I have to recognize that my ishtadlis has to be very real. What that means in plain, simple language is, if I'm sick, I go to the doctor.
but not any doctor. A little while ago, my wife tripped and she broke her leg. We didn't go to just any old doctor, found the best specials we can, the finest physician I knew. It was not life-threatening, it was, but it, hey, setting a bone and knowing what the, it's, it's important. My ishtadlis has to be in the best manner in the ways of the world, but that's exactly what determines my ishtadlis. For instance, let's say I need to earn a living. So I go out there, but here's the criteria. I have to ask a financial analysis based on my financial needs, based on my skill sets, what is the wisest approach. There has to be wisdom, there has to be energy, there has to be drive, and I have to go out there, and while I do that, I have to know I've done my part, and now it's up to Hashem. And this carries through every single decision in your life. By the way, many decisions that you'll make, and you'll quickly realize that this is the only approach you can have. It shouldn't happen to any of us. But the doctor says, listen, your mother is ill, we have to make a decision. We have to decide to operate or not to operate. If we operate, she might live. However, if we operate, she also may die on the table. But if we don't operate, she will probably also die. I'm not sure. I don't know what to do. So you have to make that decision. Now what do you do? What you do is you consult other medical professionals. You find the best mind you can. You ask your rov. And then at a certain point, you make your best decision. But this is the point. You don't make the right decision. You can't make the right decision. You have to make the best decision you can based on the information you have, based on the knowledge you have at the time, and then you take your heavy load and you transfer it to Hashem. You say, Hashem, I did my part. I consulted with people far wiser than I. I put in my best effort. Now it's up to you. I don't run the world. You do. I did my part. You do your part. And that is the operating principle in everything that we do. I have to do my part in the ways of the world, knowing full well that at the end of the day, Hashem determines every outcome, and that's how we approach every issue of life. Now, if you'd like to know where you're at in Bitochen, if you'd like to know, take your, sort of like a, take your pulse, take your temperature in Bitochen, where, where you're holding, you know, everybody says, I'm Bitochen, I'm Bitochen, Hashem runs the world. If you want to really know, I'll give you two little tests of Bitochen. One is, have you ever felt something called anxiety, nervous, fear, trepidation? Anxiety, fear, trepidation are indications that I don't get it. I don't recognize that Hashem's running the world. My job is to be very proactive. My job is to be very careful. My job is to be very judicious. But at the end of the day, I've done my part, Shem runs the world. If I'm feeling fear, nervous, anxiety, that's an indication that my betachan is lacking. Now let's not make any mistake, we are all humans, and we will always feel fear, nervousness, trepidation, but that's a warning signal. That's the sign that it's time for me to work on myself. That's a time for me to work on the fact, knowing that Hashem runs the world, working on my betachan, that's when it's time to get to work, but that's the first test of Bitochan. The second test of Bitochan, I'd like to share with you a story that I, I'm very fond of telling. You may have heard it before, but I happen to love the story. Um, the story goes like this. When I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and I used to buy books from this bookstore called Amazon. Amazon was then the largest bookstore in the world, and as you know, that's how Jeff Bezos began Amazon. It was strictly an online bookstore. Now, because I was a high school rabbi, I felt I, I needed to know things about the world, and I often read 
my kids used to joke, Amazon delivers twice twice a week to the house, always there, let's invite them into the house. Okay, anyway, I used to order from them regularly. In any case, I heard about Amazon going public. And the IPO was in a few weeks, and I said to my wife, you know, Amazon, an amazing company, on time, every time, exactly as promised, um, I think we should invest in it. My wife said, what do you have in mind? I said, well, listen, I think $2,000. Now, we were young married at the time, and it was, uh, for us then, it was a substantial sum. My wife said, fine, you think so? Go ahead. So the plan was, I was going to purchase $2,000 in the initial public offering the next day. That night, my wife opens Newsweek magazine, and in the back, there's a a write-up about Amazon. Jeff Bezos has a million dollars in personal credit card debt. And there's never a precedent for it. He's putting it out for $15 a share. It's absurd. On and on, ranking out this IPO. My wife brought me the article, and she said, what do you want to do? I said, what do you want to do? She said, I'm just not comfortable. So I didn't. I didn't buy the IPO. Okay. Let's say I had. Let's say I had invested $2,000 in that IPO, and I held it to today. Those $2,000 today would be worth about $4.5 million. Ah, shucks. Ah, shucks is a lack of bitachon. Ah, shucks means that my actions determine my future. Ah, shucks means I'm the one in charge. The fact that my wife read Newsweek and that part of Newsweek that week, and she never reads the business section, the fact that she read Newsweek and that Time magazine, which had a very different slant on it, that is Hashem orchestrating the world. The second litmus test of Bitochen is no regrets. If I've done a prudent and judicious Ishtadlis, I've done my part, I take my heavy load, transit to Hashem, and I say, Hashem, you're in charge. You're the one who runs the world, I rely on you. A sense of dread. I should have, oh, why didn't I buy real estate in the, in the 90s? Why didn't I invest before the tax? Why didn't I? <clears throat> Any such sense of deep regret is an indication of me running the world. And again, these are the two litmus tests of Bitochen. Number one, fear, dread, anxiety. And number two, dread. Why didn't I? I should have, I could have. Now, let's not make a mistake. If I wasn't careful, if I wasn't wise, if I took money and recklessly threw it away, then I should say, odd drat, but odd drat because I was reckless, I wasn't prudent. But assuming that I was careful, assuming I used my best wisdom, and I made a decision wisely and carefully, I take my heavy load, transit to Hashem, I say, I say to Hashem, I've done my part, and the outcomes are up to you, and that is the test of Bitochen. And now I have one more step that I want to share with you. Let's say you want to grow in Bitochen. Sounds great. Rely on Hashem, trust Hashem. I, I understand I have to do my part. I'm going to Hashem ultimately runs the world. How do you grow? So explains the Chavos of Elvis, there are two thoughts that a person has to have if they want to really get a grip, a real understanding on Bitochen. The first one is very easy. It's almost intuitive. The second one is very, very difficult. Explains the Chavos of Elvis, the first thought that a person has to have if they want to have Bitochen is they have to know that Hashem loves me more than I love me. As much as I want my best, Hashem wants it even more. As much as I want what's good for me, Hashem wants it even more. As much as I want things to work out for me in a good way, Hashem wants it even more. As much as I love me, Hashem loves me even more. That's the first thought that a person has to have if they want to learn to trust Hashem. And that thought is rather easy to attain. 
Number one, it's intuitive, but if you really want to work on it, I'll give you a very simple exercise. And just look at a mother of a newborn child. The mother would do anything for the child. The mother is bonded to the child. And the mother would probably give up her life for the child. Now, I want to ask you a question. What exactly did the baby do to merit that the mother would do anything for it, and stay up at night for it, and feed it, clothe it, give everything, give up her life? What did the baby do? And the answer is the baby did nothing. The reason why the mother loves the child so is because Hashem in, put an instinct into a human being's heart. It's called a maternal instinct, a paternal instinct. It's a desire, a bonding, an attachment. And it's an instinct that Hashem put into the heart of a mother. But any love that you've ever experienced, any love that you've ever seen, comes from Hashem. And explains the Chobos of take that love and multiply it by 10,000, 10,000, and 10,000 times. It doesn't even equal a sliver, a splinter, of the unbridled love that Hashem has for any one of His creations. And when you see people who are willing to do such things for their children, and no one understands that's but a small little example of the unbridled love that Hashem has for all of His creations, and the first concept, knowing that Hashem loves me more than I love me, is not that difficult to attain. It's a second area that gets us into a lot of trouble. The second area is what I call playing God. Playing God means I know exactly what I need. I need to marry that woman. I need to get that job. I need to get my kid into that class. And I daven. I said to Hashem, Hashem, please, it's so important. And I asked and I asked. And, and it didn't sort of work out. And then I even broke a deal. Hashem, I'll learn the dafayomi. I'll learn again. I'll, Hashem, please. And I don't get it. It's not happening. It's like, Hashem, why? Are you angry with me? You have time? Hashem, what, what, why, why, why? That's called playing God. Why? And because playing God implies that I know what's best for me. I know where I need to be two years from now, ten years from now. I know exactly what should happen. And then I explain it to God, and I hope that God will play along with my plan. But that's not called trusting God. And trusting Hashem means I trust that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. How many times do you hear a guy had to marry that woman? And he didn't. She married somebody else. And two years later, he hears the term mentally unstable is an understatement to describe her condition. i got to get that job. And he doesn't get the job. And two years later, he finds out that the entire industry was sent over to India. i got to get my kid into that class. And then six weeks later, he finds out there's another child in the class who would have been the worst possible influence on his child. And playing God means I know the outcome I know what's supposed to be, and then I explain to Hashem what's supposed to happen, and Hashem, please follow my plan. But that's not called bitachon. Bitachon doesn't mean trusting Hashem to do what I know is best. It explains the Chovah Zavavah's second concept that a person has to have clearly embedded in their mind is, as much as I know what's best for me, Hashem knows even better than I. I think this is good. I will do my ishtadlis. If it goes, great. If not, I trust Hashem. I know that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. As much as I think I know what I need, I don't, and I rely on Hashem to do. These two concepts, number one, that Hashem loves me more than I love me, and number two, that Hashem knows better than I, underscores exactly what Bitochen is based on. And I think this, these two Gemaras are very eye-opening, 
because the contradiction is exactly the answer. On the one hand, I'm supposed to know that exactly the dollar amount of money I'm to earn this year is set. And on the other hand, I have to put in my shtadlis, shrikim chizik, I have to constantly motivate myself, constantly give myself a pep talk. Why? Because I have to do my part in the ways of the world, and I have to know that the outcome is completely up to Hashem. As the Sefer Chinuch explains, I don't take revenge. Why? Not just because it's bad for me and bad for human beings, because taking revenge imputes power to man that he doesn't have. I'm implying that you harmed me, and you caused me pain, and I'm supposed to recognize and understand that you can't harm me, you can't help me. By taking revenge, I'm damaging my emuna. As the Chavaz Vavaz explains, I walk around knowing that no human being can penetrate it. Like wearing, like I walk with that loose sight bubble protecting me, and you can scheme, you can dream, you can't get in there. No human being can harm me, no human being can help me. Hashem is involved 24-7, 365. But that's Hashem's role. And what's my role? As Hashem said to Noah, build the Teva. You can't we can't expect you to build a boat large enough to contain all of the animals in creation, but you can't just do nothing. You have to do as much as you can in the ways of the world, and then Hashem says, I'll take over. And that's the operating principle you see when Yeshua went into Eretz Yisrael. He told him, don your armor, sharpen your swords, prepare for battle. Even though everyone there knew every battle was to be won miraculously, and even Shmuel, even a Novi Hashem, when Hashem says, go appoint and the next king, Hashemot says, I can't do it, it's dangerous. And Hashem says, you're right. Because even a prophet can't put himself in an unwarranted danger, and this is the principle. We have to go in the ways of the world, knowing that Hashem determines the outcome. Like that choreographed fight scene, I have to throw the punch like it's real. I have to go out there in the workplace, and it has to look like I'm a man with a vision, a man with a drive, and I have to know that I'm just going through the motions. But the motions have to be real understanding I'm walking the tightrope. When I'm walking that tightrope, I have to imagine in my mind's eye there is no safety net. I have to do my ishtadlis in a very real way. If I say, whatever, I'll be like a days ago, just whatever, all bets are off. I have to be on that tightrope as if there's no safety net, all the while knowing, of course, there is a safety net, Hashem is there, and that is the ultimate balance. Finding this balance in a practical way is very, very challenging. It's very challenging because we're constantly having to use this world. And coming to recognize that Hashem is always there is something that a person should be spending a lifetime learning because it takes a lifetime. The two concepts that underscored all are number one, that Hashem loves me more than I love me. And number two, that Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. When you bring those two thoughts into your mind, think about them, dwell on them, and you go through this thing called life, with that understanding, you start growing, you start seeing Hashem involved, and you become a vastly different human being. And now, I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. Um, they certainly can be on this topic, or they can be on any other, but please feel free to ask. Um, uh, <coughs> okay, someone has an interesting... Charlie Rari calls this Amazon God, Amazon God, where you say what you want and expect it to show up. Yeah, okay, yeah, <coughs> right, okay, Amazon God, okay. I call it playing God. Um, I play God because I call it playing God because I think we get the re, the roles reversed. You see, when I say to Hashem what it is that I need, and I trust that Hashem will deliver, what I'm saying is like this: I'm the master, and Hashem, you're my servant. This is what I need, and I depend on you. I rely on you to de- deliver what I need. 
So what I've got there is a little bit of role reversal, where I'm the master and God's the servant. God will do my bidding. The only problem is I got a little backwards. <laughs> Trusting Hashem means recognizing that Hashem knows better than I what's my best, that Hashem has a plan. <clears throat> Trusting Hashem means I trust Hashem's plan, not that I trust Hashem to do my plan. I trust Hashem's plan. I have to do my part. I have to use my wisdom. I have to use my energy. But at the end of the day, I know it's all up to Hashem. Okay, please feel free to raise your hand and we'll gladly call on you. And we have, um, I can't read the name though, Jake. Looks like Jake. Okay, is it Jake? Hi, Rabbi Schaefer. Hi. Thank you very much for a uh, fantastic spruce. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so I guess for me, the struggle is less about the outcome of any, let's say, endeavor and more about how much Heshtadlis to do. So in its simplest form, I guess my question would be, how many hours a day should a person work towards his, towards his stated goal? Okay, excellent question, and a very, very important question. So let me start with the, with the sort of like the principle. <clears throat> the first step of the principle is you take God out of the equation. You take Hashem out of the equation. Imagine I was a Gentile. Imagine Hashem doesn't run the world. What would be the normal derech hateva? What would be the normal ways of the world? So if I'm starting a new business, it might be to work 12 hours a day. It might be to sleep under my whatever it may be. <clears throat> that is the first stage of defining my hishtadlis. <clears throat> Number one, you take Hashem out of the picture and you define what is the derech hateva, what is the ways of nature. But step two is, but of course you put God back in the picture. And what that means is, <clears throat> any ishtadlis that I do has to be bracketed by the rest of the Torah. So for instance, let's assume I have a very successful uh, electronics business. And my CFO comes in and says, boss, listen, you know this idea of not being open on Saturday, it's been good all the time, but i got to tell you, we're in trouble. The internet stealing sales. <clears throat> Circuit City opened across the street. we got to open on Saturday. Boss, you got to do this now. So listen, you, you tell me, I got a derech uh, That's how I serve Hashem in the ways of the world. So I got to keep the place open. Only one little technical problem. The Torah says, Sheshishamim Tavod Ubashvi Tishbos, and don't open your store. So I can't say I'm serving Hashem by using the world in the ways of the world because that's what Hashem wants me to do. When the Torah clearly says, Ah, uh-uh, ah, don't work on Shabbos. So the first rule is, I have to use the world in the ways of the world. It means I take Hashem out of the picture and I ask myself, according to the ways of the world, what is normal Ishtadlis? But that has to be bracketed by the rest of the Torah. So for instance, let's say I'm starting a business. It's certainly acceptable and normal to work very long hours. And maybe in the beginning even working way more than you have to. But at a certain point, and that could be six months into it, but not much longer, you have to be able to scale back and work normal hours. You have to daven, you have to learn. If you're a father, a husband, you have to have time for your family. And if you think your ishtadlis demands putting in 16 hours for the next 20 years, I got news to you, that's not a good ishtadlis. And that's where you're taking over the world. You have to use the world in a way of the world, knowing that Hashem really runs the world, and ultimately that's the answer. Did I answer the question? Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Okay, Thank good. You. Okay, my pleasure. Okay. Okay, and please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question, or you can type them in. If you have any questions, please feel free to type them in. Again, anytime you could certainly, um, you can send questions in. By the way, again, just a note, again, I mentioned before, on the Shmuz site there is the Bitochen Workshop. It's 24 Shi'urim on Bitochen, and there's another series called Emuna in the Workplace. You can get it on the Shmuz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, or 
the Shmuz app or the Shmuz podcast. There's also a Kalalashan number for those who, well, if you're watching this, you don't need Kalalashan. But the point is, those are very good. If you want to really work on this understanding and work on Bitochen, work on Amuna, again, Bitochen Workshop, I highly recommend it. You look on the top, you'll see major series. On the major series, you'll see Bitochen Workshop and Amuna Workplace. And again, it's also available on the app as well as the podcast. Okay, let me take a question now from Batya. Okay, Batya, you have the floor. Thank you, Abby. Hi. Always good to hear you. Um, it, it, it's amazing how how Bitachon has impacted my life. I've been working on this Mida for for a very, very long time, over 20 years. And I'm constantly amazed when something happens where I can exercise it. I I work um, for a health department mm-hmm. for COVID. Um, and because, thank God, the numbers of infections are going down mm-hmm. so precipitously, a lot of us workers are going to be laid off. I learned last week um, that my hours are being cut mm-hmm. and didn't even didn't even think at it. Baruch Hashem. Excellent. I know, I know where my source of everything comes from, and for anybody who, I want to say this for anybody who's listening and has doubts that they can get to this level. I'm no tzaddikus at all, but I just am so certain that Hashem takes care of me. I can look back over my life and see exactly what you said if I had gotten that job if I had married this person and just to have an experience that could be potentially so damaging I don't, I'm not not even worrying about it I'm going to update my resume I'm going to look at job sites Excellent, excellent Okay, now let me comment on something you said I think you said it beautifully but I want to point out something very important. The way, the way to grow and be talking is exactly what you said. If you look back on your life, you know, I like to say every Jew has a story. <clears throat> every Jew has a story, how I ended up here and this happened. That. If you go back and review the events of your life, you'll say, wow, look at, look at that. I met this person, this happened, and oh my, go- oh my, oh my goodness. Well, oh, there was Hashem, and there was Hashem, and there was Hashem. And that's one of the most powerful ways to work on Bitochan. But if you really, really want to work on Bitochan, there's an even more powerful way. And that is from now on in, write down all of the miracles that happened to you. We all have that moment, Oh, look, Hashem, save me, Hashem, protect me. And then we forget it. If you write down even just the, the slightly the details, you write it down, and then a week later you write down something else, a week later, after, and then you thumb back over them. And you see after six months, you have story after story. But it's not like tales from the Gemara, not like tales from Sadiqim. It's my life. I see Hashem right there. And that's how you really grow. The problem is, if you don't write it down, it sort of like evaporates and it's gone. You write it down, you go over it. When I was in Yeshiva, I used to do this regularly. I had books filled with the events. Um, I guess I'm no longer as religious as I used to be. I only write down the major events. But I do. I make it a point. If it's a major... I, it's a nascent, you write it down, and you find it's, it's a great system, great way to grow. Okay, but thank you very much. I very much appreciate your words, and I wish you much, much tzatzlacha. Thank you. 
Okay, let's take a question from... Let me see, we have some more questions here. Avram, we haven't heard from you for a while. Avram, you are... You have the floor. I think you do. Hey, yes. Yeah. Hi. Yes, uh, good evening, Rabbi. Good evening. Um, so the question I have... Question I have you, you have the question, but I don't have the question. Um, <clears throat> we got cut off. Um, <clears throat> oh, okay, sorry. Maybe yeah. Sorry. Um, the question was that, um, that in gen- it sounds like in general you have a, whatever you said, it sounds very good. It's just impractical. Not every time um, is everything black or white. Right. Not every time is it do you operate or not operate. Sometimes within a struggle, sometimes in the ways of the world, you can have several options how to do something. Right. And how do you then choose when you have multiple options of how to uh, go with the ways of the world? How right. then do you decide? Door A, door uh, B, or door C. Which do you choose? Okay. So let me let me explain to you why you're finding that difficult. You're finding it difficult because I have to make the right decision. And all three, could, this could be right, that could be right, this could be right. And, and since I have to make the right decision, I don't know what to do. So here's the point. I don't have to make the right decision. I can't make the right decision because I don't run the world. I have to make the best decision. <clears throat> if it's clear, it's clear. If it's not so clear, so I have to see which one is better, which is better, and it's both are the same, so I pick one. But you see, I don't have to make the right decision. I have to make the best decision I can based on the information I have. So <clears throat> based on the, that circumstance, what looks better? This option, that option, and then I choose. But it may not be the right one. Maybe the other ones are, You're right. It may not be the right one, but I'm not obligated to choose the right one. I'm obligated to make the best decision I can based on what I know and who I am. Well, if I were Moshe Rabbeinu, I would know much better that the other one was a better choice. Yeah, but I'm not Moshe Rabbeinu. And Hashem doesn't expect me to be a genius. I am who I am. <clears throat> I know what I know. Based on these circumstances, what is the best decision that I make? And that is the right decision because I'm not obligated to make the right decision. I can't. I'm obligated to make the best one. You know what I'm saying? I think so. I mean, regardless of how many options there are, one of them is going to be the better, the best decision. <laughs> right. And even if if two are equal, so okay, you choose one. It doesn't meaning if both are really equal. <laughs> so I don't know which one. To, I have to choose one. So I choose one. But maybe the other one's better. You're right. It might be. But my job is to make the best decision under these circumstances. They both seem the same, so I have to pick one. Pick one. I'm only in trouble if I have to make the right decision. I'm only in trouble if the outcome is based on my decision. And once I know that the outcome is not based on what I decide, the outcome is based on Hashem's decision, I have to just do my part in the ways of the world. I have to make the best decision I can based on who I am, the knowledge that I have, and what's in front of me as opportunities. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, good, good, good Shabbos. Good, thank you. Okay, let's see. We had some other people have questions over here. Um, okay, not such a tzaddikus, not such a tzaddikus. Why not? Let's. You should be a tzaddikus. Okay. Do you have the floor? I think you do. Um, I think I get, tried to give you the floor. I think you do. Can you hear me? Um, well, if you can hear me, I can't hear you, but I'm going to have to disable talking. Okay, Binyamin Pesach, you have the floor. Right. Hi. I hope this isn't outside the scope of the discussion, but if you're learning through the Sefer Bitach and Shar Bitach and Chalzavavas, etc., they all seem to say that the amount of Ishtadlus is a reciprocal relationship to the amount of Bitach, and that 
theoretically someone who has more bitachon would have to less shtablis. Can I stop you for a minute? Can I stop you for a minute? Yeah. If you could find me any line in the Chovos Levavos where it says that, I'll be greatly appreciative because I've been looking for years. There are Rishonim who say that, and certainly the Beis Halevi definitely learns that way, but I have not seen an inference, a clue, anything about that in the Chovos Levavos, and certainly not for a regular person. Just let me just let me just. I'm, 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 I don't know what to say. I'm saying the Chovos Levavos, which to me is the the Bible of Bitochan. And maybe at most for a person on a great madrega, a very high tzaddik, but I haven't seen any remez, any hint of so that. that kind of, yeah. Is that, is that something which is just totally beyond us? Is that like you feel that it's not, doesn't apply to us? I don't know. Just, I, again, I, I go with the Chobos of Ovis. Chobos of Rishon. Um, and I, I don't, you know, listen, there is a concept of dominating and asking Hashem. And not only that, there's certainly a concept of attempting. Here, I'll give you a good example. Let's assume that I want to learn four hours a day, but I got a business. I got a, you know, I got a. I certainly can set up a plan. This is my plan. I'm going to hire this employee. I'm going to set up systems this way, so that I could duck out four hours a day. Now, it could well be that Hashem will allow me to have success with that, and it will succeed. Could be won't, depending on who I am, what the circumstances are. But I'm certainly allowed to do a hishtadlus along that path. But in terms of doing what would be less than a uh, proper ishtadlis, less than what would be a normal ishtadlis, I don't think so. And by the way, even if it's true that a great tzaddik has that level of bitachon, with all due respect, you and I, kid, I don't right, think so. That's what I'm saying is that, is that basically we're not, we're not Rebargar Levine. They tell us Rebargar Levine, do we go look for a few kopecks that were sitting on the street and that was his ishtadlis? Right, like, right, 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 right. Well, I'm, I, if I wish I were, I wish I were a tenth of that level, but I'm certainly not. So, that, so, so you don't feel that that comes into play with our with our calculations? I, I don't, I don't think so. Again, even if you hold that, it does. That makes for, sense. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thanks for visiting. Okay. One more question. Now, uh, not such a tzaddikus. We're going to try again. Actually, let me see if someone had a question. Uh, no, I will try it one more time. Let's see if it works. Uh, Hi, sorry. Um, Hi. Uh, my internet got cut off when okay, you... Okay, quite right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so a question here is uh, why, if uh, if that's the case, if uh, then why should we keep on uh, asking uh, in our tefillah for something that we think that's best for us and that's something that we really, really are looking forward. Why then um, kind of pour our hearts into um, tefillah asking for this specific... Um, okay, so there's one line one of my rabbim told me when I was a young man. Every tefillah finish up with these words, if it's for the best. If it's for the best. Hashem, let this work out if it's for the best. Let this work out if it's for the best. Meaning, my job is to put in a very real effort. And sometimes I have to really, really work hard at it. Sometimes I have to daven very, very hard. I don't know if it's for the best. Hashem, if it's for the best, let this work out. So that understanding is, I think, the the right understanding. Meaning, listen, if you're building a business, you have to work years and years and years. You can't say, well, I, I tried for two weeks already and, uh, you know, whatever, I, you know. You have to put in a lot. That's that's considered effort. And so too, davening is part of our shtadlis. And you have to daven and daven for a long time, for many, 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 many hours. 
And again, as long as you recognize that I don't know what's for the best, Hashem, if it's for the best, let this come out. I think that's the right ishtadlus. Is that also for the case when you ask for something that you think that it's uh, kind of, let's call it basic or like not monetary, but something such as health or more kids? <clears throat> right, <clears throat> exactly. Same food. thing. Same thing. You have to ask and ask and ask because that's part of the shtadlus. And you also have to recognize that not everything that I think is for my best is Hashem runs the world. Even if we are thinking about health or kids or something that it's not material. Right. In other words, you're, you're allowed to ask and you should ask and you're allowed to assume. <clears throat> Listen, let's say a person's not married and they're in their mid-30s. They're certainly allowed to assume that Hashem has the right person for me. <clears throat> um, they may have to question whether they're doing the right ishtadlis. That's a fine question. But they're certainly allowed to trust that Hashem has, and they have to keep on going out and keep on going through it. So too, if a person is married for a while and haven't had children yet, <clears throat> certainly they're allowed to trust that Hashem will allow this to happen. You're supposed to ask and you're supposed to daven. And many times a year, people don't have kids for six years, seven years, ten years even, and later on they do. You know, so, you know, I, I think it's certainly proper to do the ishtadlis, proper to daven. But again, as long as you recognize, and every tefillah ends with the words, if it's for the best. Thank you. Okay, thank you my very pleasure. Much. Okay, and thank you all for joining. Again, if you'd like, on the Shmuz site, Bitochen Workshop, as well as the Moon in the Workplace, if you go to the Shmuz, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z dot com, you can find it there. I also want to mention, the. Uh, I'm very happy to say, the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make is going to be hitting the press. It's going to press. By the way, a great opportunity. If you would like to sponsor, there's a sponsorship opportunity open. If you'd like to sponsor, please contact me, rebbeatshmuz.com. I believe it's going to be a very popular book. Already we've sent out a few hundred copies to Chosin and Kala teachers, marriage therapists, and we're getting very, very good reviews, very good feedback. So it's going to press Mitzvah shortly. Uh, if you'd like a pre-publication copy, you can go to shmuz.com and you can order it. Uh, and again, if you're interested in sponsoring, please uh, contact me, Rebbe at theshmuz.com, R-E-B-B-E at theshmuz.com. I thank you very much for joining, and I wish you a good Shabbos. Thank you.